0: my college students out there, you should feel free to say, hey, it is not okay that we as a country have a system in place that allows for unborn babies to die. And say that loudly and proudly. You should be able to say that. And in the same breath, for a lot of my brothers and sisters out there that you lean more Republican, you should be able to say unequivocally that white supremacy is of the devil. And you should be able to say that unequivocally, loudly and proudly.
1: Welcome to The Green Room, a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. What's up, guys? My name's MJ, and in today's episode, Tyler and I sat down with Andre Gray, pastor at the Austin Stone South Congregation, and we talked about politics, loving your neighbor, and who Christians should vote for.
2: Mitch, the thing that I loved about this conversation almost more than other conversations I've had about politics is it shows you can disagree and you can laugh Mm. and you can have, like, real conversations about politics in ways that are informative and enjoyable. Yeah. And I think you and I getting to have the conversation with Dre was a good moment for me to remember that because I don't know about you, but this season makes me almost believe that's not even possible.
1: Yeah. Everything is so— polarized. And it seems like both sides are very tribalistic. So it's kind of like, even if you have an idea or a question or a thought that doesn't fit in one special box, that you might be outcasted. And uh, I- I've seen people lose friendships over who they voted for and why they voted that way. Uh, so so this was definitely refreshing. And it, it was even cool to even with this conversation and you guys are going to listen to, you, you're even going to hear stories about how both Andre and Tyler voted in past elections. Yep. So we're really trying to get vulnerable. We really want to model what it looks like to have a space like this, and we really want this for you guys. How, how did you have conversations like this in college, Tyler?
2: When I was in college, we mostly didn't have conversations about politics, which is part of the problem, mm-hmm. right? We don't really have conversations about it, or if you do have conversations, they get heated. So, again, this is what I loved about the conversation today with Dre is getting to have different perspectives, different backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and different takes on topics and be able to go, and we're all still Christians. And we can not even love each other because, you know, you Christians, you use the I love you, but I don't like you. Like I genuinely liked the people in this conversation even if we disagreed on certain things. And I think that's part of the process for us to grow in.
1: That's so good. Of course, this episode won't cover all aspects of politics and the Christian worldview, but we hope that it helps you begin conversations even with people you disagree with. And we hope that you leave with a better understanding of what it means to be a Christian in America, especially in our current cultural climate. Enjoy. What is going on? Welcome to the Green Room Podcast. I'm here with Dre, who is our South Congregation pastor for the Austin Stone. Dre, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Mitchell, how you doing, brother? Good, man. A lot of our listeners probably haven't met you. Yep. Uh, if, if they go to the Austin Stone, they've heard you preach a couple times. Yep. Obviously, we've been in the coronavirus era, so oh, it's yeah. kind of hard to Uh, even know who's on staff anymore. Uh, But you haven't even been here for a year. No, I haven't. Um, Nine months
0: strong, baby. Yeah, man. (laughs) That's what's up. Mm -hmm.
1: Not even a full year, though. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, well, if I were to give you the highlights of Dre, um, I am Jamaican-American. My family's from the island of Jamaica. So my mom and dad were born and raised and uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Go Nets, go Yankees, mm. right? Go all things New York City. So that's where I was born and raised. But my background's from the island of Jamaica, man. And so that makes makes a big part of who I am. That's a huge part of my identity and who Dre is. Married to the most beautiful wife in the world. Her name is Christine. Mm. She's awesome. Um, I love her very much. We just celebrated uh, two years. Funny story, dude. Well, it really isn't funny. <laughs>
2: but...
0: Um, I had COVID, and uh, it almost took me out. And, dude, I was in a hospital bed, laid up, just almost like, I mean, on the brink of, like, death, for real. Uh, And that's when we celebrated our—that's how we celebrated our second year anniversary. So July 28th. Uh, that, is that's covenant stuff right oh, there, dude. You're like I'm dude, all in. Dude. For better or for worse. I'm in, exactly a, right. I'm in a hospital room in a be, in a hospital bed and Christine's in the in the ER waiting room, dude. And we're like, happy anniversary. So I mean man. yeah, and sickness and in health got real Ooh. real fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a word. <laughs> it's true, man. It's oh true. yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, that's Dre, man. So I'm I'm a kid, man, that that I love the Lord. Got saved at 16, got called to full-time ministry mm-hmm. shortly after that, man. had been been chasing that call ever since. And so I'm 31 now, so been serving the Lord for 15 strong years. Love Him today more than I ever have. And, uh, man, I count it a privilege to get to be a pastor, and particularly a pastor here at the Austin Stone, mm-hmm. and be a part of this church family, and to, to pastor the people that, that make up this church body, man. So, yeah, glad to be here.
1: Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. All right. I love that you're here one because you're killing it at the South Congregation I'm but in. two you're a black man. Yeah. You're our first black pastor uh, that's leading a congregation yep. at the Austin Stone. So yep. even even for me as a younger black dude, I look up to you and mm-hmm. just see how you lead and how you're even, you know, pushing the envelope for having conversations about racial justice Mm -hmm. and just even representation-wise, man. It's been huge for me. I know so many other people here, man. So how has it been for you as a new pastor in Austin, as a black pastor in really white Austin, uh, helping people in your church think through politics?
0: Man, if I were to use a word, and I'll unpack this, but if I were to use a word to describe it, it would be challenging because I think, you know— one of the things that I've noticed about Austin Texas is that uh, for a lot of the folks that make up the city which is which is a lot of young white progressives like mm-hmm. I mean it, Austin in many ways is sort of is sort of becoming the new the new Portland if you will mm-hmm. and so one of the things I've noticed in having the conversation and in trying to lead as a pastor through this conversation is that you've got this sort of real crazy sort of uh, dividing line in Austin that I don't think you see in a, in, in, in most cities right? being this this blue city in a sea of red, uh, is that a lot of the things that I say is going to get polarized one way or the other. It's Mm -hmm. either, man, get them, Dre, get them, get them, get them. And a lot of those white progressives don't realize I'm talking to them too. (laughs) (laughs) And And at the same time, you know, I've got a lot of my brothers and sisters, my white brothers and sisters that probably fall on the other side of the aisle, that they allow fear and different things to creep up in the ways in which they engage what I'm trying to say. And so, man, it is challenging to know how to speak to both audiences is because both audiences need to be spoken to, and how to do so in such a way that's faithful to the gospel, um, that's challenging, that's convicting, and so man, it's been challenging, dude. It's yeah. just it's been a challenging, challenging road to try to to try to walk down. But but man, I, I'm excited about being able to to be a part of what the Lord is doing here in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and the ways in which He's leading our city and and utilizing the church to sort of be a be a be a voice
2: in the public square in that way. Yeah. Trey, I, I'm I'm curious because you're referencing Austin as this kind of unique sort of experience, because like you said, there's the very stark divide, because most blue counties Mm -hmm. are not surrounded by a largely red state, Mm -hmm. typically, Mm -hmm. and that's not how Mm -hmm. it works. What, in your past, because you've been in KC, you've been all over, you've been different all all over the country, is your experience in other cities, has it been largely monolithic? You know, in, yeah, 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 in the, in the yeah, yeah. sense of yeah. political leanings. Is, yeah. is, is that I would, I would totally experience? say your
0: so I would totally say that, man. So I grew up in New York City. And, man, in that space, right, it's going to—man, that that uh, that progressive echo chamber is yeah. real loud, yeah. right? And then I moved—I uh, lived in Orlando for a while. Man, down there, that, that conservative echo chamber, real, real loud in Florida. And you got to keep in mind, dude, that I lived—I moved to Jamaica when I was like three or so. My family mm-hmm. moved back came back to the States when I was about 10 or 11. So when I came to this country, on paper, I'm a U.S. citizen. But, dude, culturally speaking, I came in with an immigrant mindset. Like, I didn't know Mm -hmm. anything about American— I had to learn American culture and learn the ways of this land and the ways that people think. So, like, I have very much so— I sort of live in this middle ground, if you will, Mm -hmm. where I identify as an American and love being an American and some of the things that come with that. But also very, very much so love being a Jamaican. And so I have Mm -hmm. these two cultures— I'm always wrestling through and thinking through and things like that. And then I lived in Dallas, Texas. And then me and my wife, Christine, we moved to Kansas City in 2018. Out there, you know, that 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 city's becoming more and more and more progressive. And so, mm. yeah, man, so I've, I've lived in a lot of cities where it's just like, yeah, you've got the echo chamber and it's loud and we know what yeah. it is. And very few folks are sort of, you know, outliers, if you will. But, man, in Austin, I think it's a unique city right now because that progressive voice is getting louder and louder. But from at least from my assessment, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like that progressive voice that's sort of rising in Austin, Texas, is sort of imported and mm-hmm.
2: not homegrown. Does that make sense? Yeah. In some ways, it could be an opportunity mm-hmm. to have actual conversations with people, because like you said, most cities are not as as divide is the wrong word, but there is polarization of everything yeah. and, in, and, in a local yeah. context, right? Yeah. Not, not not national media, like in a local context, yes. yes. whereas as pastors, we're interacting with people who in the same church could not be more different from yes. one another. Yes. And instead of it becoming an opportunity to go, what would it mean to partner together and have yeah. conversations and have what binds us, not what separates us? In our context, it it seems to me at least— it's become way more of a dividing line than it's yeah. been an opportunity. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: no yeah, no doubt, dude. And that, that's the thing that I think I see in that is that the church at large, but particularly the church in Austin, has a unique opportunity to sort of highlight and demonstrate what I call the third way. Yep. Um, that man, in any other context you find yourself in, it's gonna be not not impossible, but more difficult to sort of showcase that. We really do have a unique opportunity to do that with even thinking about our church here at the Austin Stone, where you do, like in, in one moment, we can make a statement and dude, we're getting responses from folks on both sides. Everybody. I mean, on the extreme of both sides, mm-hmm. right? That both worship at the Austin Stone, partners here, love this church, love yeah. Jesus, yeah. all of that stuff. And they don't even, re- like, they're on the, the opposite side. And it's like, man, there is a third
1: way, man. That's so good. Uh, that third way, that kingdom way. I, I, I think that that hits me in a way where it makes me hopeful. Yeah. Because here's what I hear all the time, especially in the past three and a half years. I've, I've seen through the election, uh, this past election where we elected Donald Trump as president, a lot more talk about this term evangelical and like all of these statistics and statements around that term. So for those of you guys who don't know, uh, the most widely accepted definition of evangelicals, probably the one put forward by a historian uh, named David Bevington in 1989. Uh, He says that evangelicals are Christians who share four main qualities, uh, a high regard for the Bible and a focus on Jesus' crucifixion and its saving effects— a belief that humans need to be converted, and lastly, the belief that faith should influence one's public life. We would identify through those definitions as evangelical, but right. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I would, when people are like, hey, are you evangelical? I'm like, hey, I know this is like largely a political sure. like term at the moment. We have these big evangelical pastors. Mm-hmm. People like, I mean, John MacArthur, uh, who, who came out a month ago and said straight up, faithful Christians would vote for Trump in this upcoming election. Is it truly the only way, like, to vote uh, if you're a faithful Christian? This coming from someone like John MacArthur, who's written study Bibles and commentaries that people use all of the time. And then I see from my friends here in Austin who are very uh, left and are like, man, Jesus wouldn't vote for Donald Trump. Mm. Jesus would vote for Biden. Uh, And so— I've just been struggling, and I've gotten so many questions from college students who are struggling with this. Is it true? Is, is it true that faithful Christians would only vote for Donald Trump, or the opposite? Yeah, yeah. Basically, who should we vote for?
0: That's a good question, man. And for me, I would say to that individual, man, when I'm reading scriptures, my answer to, to that question is that, man, you should vote for your neighbor. Let me unpack what I mean by that. Is that, man, for us as Christians, if according to Jesus. The law and what it means to be godly and what it means to be about him is wrapped up in two commandments. Jesus made it real clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think too many of us are voting without our neighbors in mind. I really do believe that. And so you can tell me all day long, man, no, I am thinking about my neighbors. I am. But are you really taking into consideration the ways in which your vote is going to have an effect on people who don't look like you, on people who don't come from from your socioeconomic background, on people who are not citizens of the US? Like, are you thinking about their perspective and what that vote is gonna mean for them? And so I think that's important, man. If you're you're wanting to answer the question, who should I vote for? I think that should be informed by love of neighbor. And I mean like really informed by love of neighbor, not by just affirming that, but actually living that out. And so for me, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, okay, Jesus. Yeah, he he doesn't have a a right way or a left way to go. Jesus has a middle way, man, that third way, that kingdom way, where he says, hey, follow me. I've got the better way. I've got the more holistic view, if you will, the more holistic pathway towards uh, human dignity, towards flourishing, towards what it means to actually be human. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so for me, it's like, man, when we get into the politics realm and when when we're talking about politics, we've got to be careful not to take the ways of Jesus and try to sort of pull that into our our sort of little camps that we want to build yep. here on earth, man, because when we do that, we're going to always find
2: that Jesus doesn't quite fit into our boxes. He just doesn't. So you, you take the kingdom mindset, right? You have mm-hmm. the kingdom of God above everything, mm-hmm. and you think about okay, how you take that kingdom. So I think there's a couple of different things. I think zeal without knowledge is not a good thing, right? That There's a proverb about that. For and, sure. and I think right now on—in any situation, when it comes to politics in particular— one of the things that most people don't want to have to do is slow themselves down to learn and figure out what actually our political process is. Because when you're reading Old and New Testament, they're not in a democratic republic, right? They're not not having to think about these. They would have loved to have thought about these things. Most of them are are thinking, I don't even have an option. This dude is Caesar in perpetuity till he dies. Mm -hmm. And then all the next crazy person Mm -hmm. is up. And, I think that's one of the things for us that's unique is you have to look at the scriptures and go, I'm in a context that they're not in. Yes. So I'm going to have to do some hard work. And I don't think most people want to do hard work. They'd like a clear cut, I'm righteous or not. Mm -hmm. And I think most human beings want to know, am I righteous? Am I right? Am I good? Am I going to be approved of? Yeah. And politics becomes this place where you have to go, oh, don't find your righteousness here because you're always going to vote for somebody you're having to accept Things you don't agree with, yeah, <laughs> you know that—that's the nature that's of the fact. of of life. That's a fact. But when you live in a a triumphalistic sort of reality where there's always the most righteous option, mm-hmm. then you start creating division. I mean, I I I have voted Democrat. I have voted Republican. Yeah. I re- I, have, I have voted both. Yeah. I'm still in the process of figuring out how I'm going to thread this needle on this next one. Mm-hmm. Just to be really honest. Yeah. And for me, that's the piece of dynamic that we're in is. I don't have to accept the categories given to me. Yep. Most people, if they were honest, they have zeal without knowledge. Yeah. They have passion without nuance. Yeah. And that makes it hard to have a conversation. No, it does. I can't argue against how you feel. Yeah, I, I, I literally it's can't true. have a conversation. If you're just going to yell at me that I'm wrong, last election, I wasn't going to vote the way a guy thought I should. He yelled at me, like l- screamed at me in our missional community. And he's yelling at me in front of everybody. And at one point, I go, Is this your attempt to persuade me? I, I don't know what this is. Cause, yeah. cause, but that's what ends up happening because yep. it, it pulls up so much emotion in people yeah. that it's hard to have an actual conversation. And w- the three of us could have a conversation, and we could all vote differently. And honestly, I could think all three of us could be godly. Yeah. Because all of us are having to accept something and go, oh, I hate that about my about my decision. Yeah, but I have to vote for somebody. Yeah, and so I, I think that that's part of this process yeah. is when you don't have any sort of content to what you're talking, knowledge, what you're yeah. talking about. It's hard to have a conversation it when it's is. only passion. And I and I
0: piggyback off that, Tyler, to say, man, for Christians, I think one of the things that we have to wrestle with. I don't care who you are as a believer. I don't care what your background is. We have got to wrestle with the fact that too many of us have placed our hope in the wrong place. And so what would cause a brother in Christ, like your homie in the missional community, to go off on you? Because you're not you're voting in a in a direction that he think you to, he thinks you shouldn't and, vote and, for. And
2: to his credit, he apologized publicly too. Okay. So to to his credit, appreciate you, brother, for apologizing. Repent
0: repentance he, is still in. He, he yelled at me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then in front of everybody, he also said, Hey, my bad. I go, I see you. <laughs> I mean, because what else can you ask yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. But
0: I think those sort of moments when our emotions sort of get the better of us and when we sort of feel ourselves getting unhinged, and and even in the spaces where we where, where we might not express it outwardly, but internally, we're struggling. There's mm-hmm. fear there. There's anger there. There's frustration there. When those sort of things are riling up in us, I think we've got to pause as Christians. And I think we need to do this in a number of different arenas in our life, right? Um, prone to wander, yeah. right? And so, I mean, I think we've always got to pause in those spaces and say, man, where am I, where am I uh, misplacing my hope? Yeah. Where am I misplacing my hope in this moment? Because I think too often uh, for us as believers, we will say with our lips, our hope is fully in Jesus, we'll sing the songs, Mm -hmm. he is the king, he's the ruler of the universe, but when we get down to the nitty gritty, it's our political party, or it's our husband or wife, it's, you name yeah. the thing, you name you name the false king, the false Jesus in our lives, the, the idols in our lives, you, I mean, you can run the list. And so I think in this conversation, it's no different, man. Too many of us put way too much hope. I'm not saying we shouldn't be thoughtful or engaging, right? And that we shouldn't be engaging, but we put way too much hope into the political system of our day and into the politicians of our day and into the parties of our day uh, than we ought to.
1: Right. I I think that's easy. It's easy to bypass things like doing the hard work of learning, reading, looking into policies, trying to wrestle with what it looks like to love your neighbor. That's the harder way mm -hmm. of really being thoughtful about how my politics and my Christianity both inform each other, interact with each other. That's Mm -hmm. better. Yeah. I think another easy way is just honestly just feeling like, man, I belong to the kingdom, so I don't need to right. vote. So since, yeah, Jesus is essentially president on, uh, uh, of my of my kingdom, of my nation, a uh, holy nation, a royal priesthood. Jesus, Jesus is my president. Vote for Jesus. I'll write him in for sure. <laughs> since, and, and I've seen a lot. From so many college students, and this was me when I first started engaging in politics, to be real. It's just like, man, it honestly sounds easiest not to vote. I don't have to think through all the bad parts Mm -hmm. about uh, every political candidate, Mm -hmm. and I don't have to do the hard work of going and explaining to people why I voted a specific way. So should Christians vote?
2: I mean, there's Christian traditions— throughout the history of the church that have abstained from voting. Mm-hmm. Like, there's people who have genuinely come to conclusions of saying Anabaptist of, like, I'm not going to even engage in this whole process because it's all corrupt. Yeah. The church has come at this from a lot of different angles. Yeah. And the more we're actually learning and the more we're actually having conversations, and that's why I think we don't know how to have a conversation about this because mm-hmm. we don't. Mm-hmm. Because I know from me growing up, you didn't talk about who you voted for. I mean, we would yell about all sorts of things in my family. Yeah. And about politics, there would be the most yelling— But you never got to have a reasonable conversation about who you're going to vote for and why. Mm. Because back Mm. to Dre's point of there's so much hope and righteousness attached to these things. Mm -hmm. And when when my identity is attached to anything, I can't be open to reason. Yeah. I can't. I I can't hear anything contrary to what I think because you're not saying that my policy is wrong. Mm -hmm. You're saying I'm wrong. Yeah. And that's a very different conversation and that makes it heated. Yeah. In some ways that I don't think is helpful. No doubt. So I think for me,
0: like, I'll, I'll share a personal story, man, of just like what my voting journey has been like, right? The first election that I was eligible to vote in was 2008, Obama, uh, John McCain. And for me, man, young 18-year-old uh, African-American kid, and at that time, I I didn't really have a clear understanding of the history of Black people, um, and particularly the history of Black people in America, and the ways in which the powers that be in our society, right, had been affecting us, right? I had a general sense of that, like most Americans do, a real general sense of American history, you know? There was slavery, ah, we was wrong for that, MLK came, he marched, he saved the day, now we're good. Yep. And that was sort of the run of the mill understanding that I, yep. have, that I had of, of American history. So man, I went into that 08 election with really no sense of conviction, no sense, and I'm, I'm a young believer, I've been saved two years, and dude, I walked in there and I voted for McCain in that two thousand and eight uh, election, there was no thoughtfulness behind it. Right. There was no any of that. I just voted for McCain. And so, for me, man, that that when I think about just like to your question, you know, uh, should you know, sh- should we vote as as Christians? Should we engage in in the political arena, man? I think for me, as a thirty one year old black man now, right, thirteen years removed from that initial time when I went and, and voted, dude, I'm more informed. I have a greater understanding of the history of of black people in America and marginalized people in general and the oppressed people in this country. And I think, man, for me, I think, you know, when I think about voting and what it means to engage in the political arena, I think it is important. It's an important thing to engage in. And I think particularly I'm learning that lesson from the black church, right? I'm looking Mm -hmm. at historically how the black church has had no choice but to engage in politics. Because to refrain from that meant something for them. Like that meant something and not something good. And so for me, it's like, man, I'm looking at that history, recognizing I'm better aware of the of the ways in which the political arena does have an effect on my life, even when I didn't know it back when I was 18, and now I have a greater awareness of that and not only have an effect on my life, but people that look like me. So I would answer that question personally and say, yes, I think you should. As a Christian, I think you should engage the political arena. I think you should vote because you, your decision to abstain from that or to not engage in that Uh, While it might not have an effect on on you personally, you might feel like, oh, it it means nothing to me if I vote or not. It's not going to change my income. It's not going to change the neighborhood I live in. It's not going to change any of that. But there are thousands of people, millions of people out there that that you refusing to engage in the process could potentially have an effect on their lives in the opposite direction. And so I think I think it's worth considering that.
1: So. Bro, that's so good. Again, like I said earlier, I really struggle and go back and forth on how I should engage politically. Mm. Because if I do vote, here's what I've come to a conclusion on. There's nobody who's going to ever become president in my lifetime that will be a sold-out Christian. I- I've just had to come to that conclusion. That's uh-huh. like— Because there's all these other things in this process to become president. I mean, you see dirt, not just for Donald Trump. He (laughs) has a lot of dirt, but you got dirt on Biden, too. Mm -hmm. And it it seems like both parties, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, are just blind Mm -hmm. to their candidates' uh, shortcomings, especially morally. Yeah, I think this is something that's—it's relevant. I mean, if I don't vote for Trump, does that mean that I don't support pro-life? And then if I don't vote for Biden, does that mean that I don't support equal rights, black lives, and loving immigrants, and and so on? Yeah. And I I just struggle with that. I think that our college students struggle with that too. Where Where do we fit? How do we practically engage? Because I know our vote is like, what you said, Dre, is it's a way of loving our neighbor. That's ultimately what you said. To the point
0: of, you know, well, you know, I'm I'm a Christian and if I vote if I don't vote Republican, am I sort of abandoning pro-life and am I in fact voting and the opposite? We've got to do the work of informing ourselves and understanding what is actually happening so that our vote can be levied as much as we possibly can towards our ultimate desire of love for neighbor. So, again, I'm not saying that voting Democrat equates to love for neighbor. Right. Or voting Republican, right, equates to love for neighbor. Because at the end of the day, we recognize that we're operating within a flawed and in some ways, in many ways, actually, corrupt system. That's just the bottom line, dude. Yeah. And if we cannot come to terms with that and recognize that reality, then it's going to be really, really, really hard for us to have a faithful and cordial engagement with that. So, like, man, how, you know, what does a faithful Christian do? A faithful Christian loves their neighbor and a faithful Christian engages in educating oneself so that your vote can be as informed as possible and not levying a vote for a particular party because that party somehow equates to Christian or somehow that party equates to walking with Jesus Man, that, that's that's probably one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Well, Faithfulness is just walking in the ways of
2: the Lord. And that can lead you in a number of different ways at the end of the day. Well, and, and that's what's helpful is is to recognize voting as an overflow of things you're already doing, right? Mm. If I want to care about life from womb to tomb— my vote should be a manifestation of the life I'm already living that's good we don't that's want good. it we don't want voting to be the determiner on Come whether on. or not you're pro-life Come on that's good I think for the church what happens is people every four years want to show off how much they care any given topic yeah and not actually do the substantive work of being about that topic yeah. throughout the rest of the other four years. Yeah. So I, I think the, the way to think about being pro-life in all these situations is to, one, go, I want to care about all of these the same, and I don't want to divide up human beings into different camps of who is more or less deserving mm-hmm. of that care. Yeah. and. I think – so I'll give you kind of the, my – like Dre did, I think it's helpful to give people, especially college students, the ways we process this. Because I, I think there are moral absolutes in the scriptures but when it comes to politics. I think it's situational and contextual mm. because depending on the situation and the context, if I was in that space, if it's 1836 and slavery is still going on, that's going to be a different conversation point in how I'm going to vote. Right, That's, it's just gonna be different, yeah. right? So in 08, I voted Obama, yeah, because I love the idea of voting for our first black president. Oh, dude, he gave a speech in 2007, maybe, but it was on race, and it was the one of the most thoughtful, like considerate of that topic that I'd ever heard a public person give. Yeah, yeah I had yeah. never heard anyone think as thoughtfully as that dude did. No doubt. And I just was like, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, I, I have friends who went and got like signed people up to register to vote for him yeah. so so I was coming from a place of but I'll be really honest I had not considered at all how does my vote affect the unborn it, it wasn't even on my radar to mm-hmm. be really honest mm-hmm. I, I just was like I'm all in on yeah. this so I voted for Obama in 08 and then part of for me the process of learning was going I hadn't done the hard work of going what does it mean for the unborn to factor into how I vote I hadn't even thought about it mm-hmm. and so then 2012 the way my conscience worked out then was okay, I voted for Romney 2012 yeah because again, and that was the issue for me. It, it, every honestly, most of Obama and the way he thought it saw the world, I was actually all about. Yeah, I just I didn't know how to make sense of the unborn. Yeah. And so, then twenty sixteen, I wrote for a third a third candidate uh-huh. because I, I couldn't again because I'm with you. I didn't know how to to thread the needle. Yeah, between between my options, mm-hmm. and so I voted for a third party. And again, that was a conversation I had with my friend in our missional community. The things he was mad at me about. I actually understood where he was coming from. I actually didn't have a problem with the content of what he was saying. Mm -hmm. It was the volume of what he was saying. (laughs) Um, But the content, I I looked at him and I said, if that's the way you're going to vote, I actually understand that. And so I I think for the church, that's the unique thing the Austin Stone has the ability to do in Austin, Texas, is if we can actually learn how to go, we're voting different. Cool. Let's go to the pregnancy center and care for those moms. Right? If we can start having these conversations— and learn together and grow together and love together, even if we come to different conclusions in policy, mm-hmm. if we can have similar heart and value, yeah. and I think have our policies and values really have be thoughtful and go, that policy doesn't produce that value, then we can actually have a church that's unique. Because yeah. like you said, we won't fit into the streams that are provided for us, and we're always gonna feel politically homeless. Always. Of yeah, of course. And we should. Yeah. You know, like, it, yeah. it, it'd be weird if people whose citizenship is in a different kingdom— Yeah. —it would be weird mm-hmm. if we're like, but I feel totally at home here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't even understand yeah. what that means, you know? My, my thing to that, Tyler, is, man, I agree with you, dude. Yeah. Like, we've put way too much stock— Sure. —in politics and in government. Now, let me be clear. As a black man, right— The government of the United States of America matters to me. (laughs) What they do and don't do matters. And we need to engage that and we need to think about that. But I think at the end of the day, man, the church has got to think about how are we going to leverage the power that we have. Yeah. Right. We serve the God who owns a a cattle in a thousand hills. We, we serve the God who we say is more powerful than anybody in the universe, that the universe holds together by the word of his mouth. Like, that's what we believe. Mm. And so for me, it's like, man, what has been disappointing for me is seeing the ways in which the church has placed more stock in the vote. Yes, and so, man, yeah. for me, it's like, yeah, we need to vote about refugee resettlement and yeah. immigration and those things. Yeah, yeah we do. While we're yeah. working on that— what does it look like for us as a local church to build safe houses yep. and, and to create spaces for those families to exist, you know, get them on their feet for the first yeah. six months and like pay for their bills? And like, how do we engage and get about doing the work yeah. while while politicians are figuring out yeah, yeah. what part of the work they're going to do and what part of the work they're not going to do, yep. depending, on you know, because it's going to have an effect on them getting yeah. reelected. So show the third way, show the kingdom way, but we're making too many excuses to not get in the fight. And man, Jesus isn't about that, dude. He isn't about that. When, When we're talking about issues of justice, issues for the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed and issues of redemption, let's get to the root of it. The Lord is about redemption, dude. We're all on this journey towards Revelation 21, 22, where all things will be made new and right. And if we're on that journey, if that's the journey that the Lord has us on, then let's be about the work in the ways he has empowered us to, to see that come little by little, year by year, day by day, month by month, hour by hour, let's do the work to see that come into fruition more and more and more and more. And so, man, I think one of the things that I hope that this upcoming election does for the church is challenges us and charges us towards being more active and engaged as the local institution that we are and doing the work on the ground ourselves and not putting as much stock as we have been historically in this country in the political systems and parties and politicians and powers that be out there.
1: So, Bro, man, y'all out here preaching. Yeah, I'll I'll just add this one thing to it, especially for our college-age men and women listening, that I've seen political... Idolatry go both ways. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where I've seen people marry an ideological tribe so they don't feel like they can uh, advocate for the unborn or they're afraid to even say things about being anti-abortion on their social media outlets because they don't want to give any way to the Republican party and vice versa. I've seen that and I've also seen this side of political idolatry that leads to people seeing these different candidates, even Donald Trump, as someone who is not made in the image of God.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Where Donald Trump—this is our statement—Donald Trump (laughs) is made in the image of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Biden is made in the image of God. Yep. These men and women who run for these public offices, we should not hate them. Uh, we should pray for them. We should pray for their salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens to our tribalistic young culture who's like, man, I'm so anti-Trump or, and I'm so anti-this-way is like, you you begin seeing that person as not a person at all. Yeah. And I've struggled with that so much. I've had to meet up with several students at this point who are really struggling with that. It's like, this is some of the rhetoric that this president has said about Black people, however, the COVID situation has been handled, especially for all of the Asian men and women in our community, mm-hmm. it's been hard for them to be like, man, like this person is not a person. And it's like, no, he he is a person. He's made in the image of God. Yeah. And every person in politics, whether we agree with their stances or whoever in our lives that we disagree with, we really have to see them as made fully in the image of God. And we can take sides on issues uh, and don't have to marry that Ideological tribe. I don't have to marry the Republican Party, but I also feel free to, if I feel like I've done my research, done the work, and I end up voting Republican, that doesn't mean I'm married to that. No, not at all. And same with the Democratic Party. I I am a part of the church that Jesus lived, died, and rose and is coming back for to take us to that new kingdom. So we don't have to marry that. And I, I just want to encourage everybody listening to this, knowing that, man, Yes, are people that we are looking up to or that we're voting for voting against? Man, they are made in the image of God, and we don't belong to this world.
0: I'll just give a word of encouragement. Yeah. Uh, to to whether whether you're out there and you are, uh, you have um, sort of married yourself to. Uh, the Democrats and progressivism, or whether you're out there and you've married yourself to the Republican Party and conservatism, I think 2 Timothy one seven is a good word for all of us, because mm-hmm. here's the thing, bro. I think wh- whatever side of the aisle you find yourself on, if we dig into the deep reservoirs of our heart, we can all recognize where fear is driving us. Mm. Fear is driving us. I've had plenty of conversations where people are being driven by fear because they're like, well, if I vote in this direction— then that's going to mean that I'm killing unborn babies, and I I cannot live with that. Yeah. And then I've got a lot of my my young college students out there that are like, if I don't vote Democrat, then I'm going to be seen as a racist and as this and as that, and I won't be operating within what is the end of today. And there's some fear underneath there, Mm -hmm. right, that I think if we really get down into that, man, I think, man, I love Paul's words— to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he tells him, hey, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's really important. You gotta catch those three things, that what the spirit of God gives us is a spirit of power and of love, and of of a sound mind. And I think too many of us are allowing ourselves to operate in fear rather than operate in the spirit, in the ways in which we're engaging politics, and the political climate of our day. And we have got to, got to, got to wrestle against that. We've got to beg God to help us to do away with our fear, trust in Him ultimately, so that we can operate in the things that He wants us to operate in. My college students out there, you should feel free to say, hey, it is not okay that we as a country have a system in place that allows for unborn babies to die and say that loudly and proudly. You should be able to say that. And in the same breath, for a lot of my brothers and sisters out there, that you lean more Republican, you should be able to say unequivocally that white supremacy is of the devil and you should be able to say that
2: unequivocally, loudly and proudly. Mm -hmm. And and I I think two things I've seen both, I've seen both of you do this really well. Mm. People are not used to having these conversations. And I've seen both of you help people say out loud things that they probably have a 30% belief on. Yeah. They don't even know. Yeah. And I think all of us, because back to our conversation with Shanda, we don't know how to have authentic relationships. Mm. And authentic relationships are always messy. Yeah. And you'll always have to give people a benefit of the doubt because all of us are saying things that are in our hearts that are a mixture of fear and courage, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and a mixture of of hate and love, and a mi- like we're all these weird, complicated beings, yeah. and so for people having these conversations, it's okay to say things and go, I don't even know if I think this is true yet. Mm-hmm. I just got to say this out loud to somebody, yeah, yeah. And can y'all just tell <laughs> tell me where I'm at? Mm-hmm. Because I think we we have the expectation for people to say, you've never talked about it, do it perfect, mm-hmm. and we have to say. No, we've never talked about it. This is the privilege of being a pastor is you have to work out your conclusions yeah. in ways other people don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I have to explain myself. You have to you have to we often explain ourselves in ways most people don't. Mm-hmm. And so it helps you go, man, I'm talking right now. <laughs> and if I'm being real honest, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm, That's I'm, a ju- fact. I'm just yeah. saying some yeah. stuff right now, yeah. hoping that I get some head, head yep. nods yep. and yep. not a whole lot of what? Mm-hmm. And so I think for our college students, for our church, Everyone has to understand we have had very little conversations yeah. with people who disagree with us, mm-hmm. with people who look different than us. Yeah. I mean, you, you two do this all the time as black men. You have to be in white context where you have to constantly go, yeah, don't I don't know how mm-hmm. to interpret. i am going to have to give you the benefit of the doubt because yeah. I don't even know what that means, <laughs> right? And so in some ways, I've, I've gotten to learn from people different than me yeah. to say, how do you hear something and just go, man— I think you should consider these things, and let's talk again, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to have it all figured out, and I do think that's what makes this more pressurized, and anything something that is difficult is pressurized, you're going to go to fight or flight mode. You just are, but you're a human being. You're going to go fight or flight. I I think our college students need to understand it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to be messy, yeah. and you have to do your best. Mm-hmm. So if we're all on a journey, I have to expect that in five years, I'll have more nuance to my position and maybe some different convictions. I, I'll be honest, five years ago, I, I am now more, I'm more conservative on certain things, and I'm more liberal on certain things. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it'll ebb and flow the next four years, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I do think yeah. us all understanding, everyone's in process. Yeah. Yeah, it does help give some understanding and grace to people, so you can operate out of love and sober mindedness and self control and 100%. power. You know, a hundred percent. And I think to that journey part, where you are yeah. today versus yeah.
0: five years ago, you're more conservative on things, more liberal on things. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. like, dude. Yep. Our political system yes. ebbs and yes. flows, dude. Like, think about that. Yep. And then you look at the Democrats, and you're like, it seems as though they're the ones that are like pro black. They're like about. They're like about to be the saviors of black people, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, dude, back in the day. The party that's supposedly the savior of black people today is the party that was trying to keep us enslaved. And it's like, man, even our political system ebbs and flows. And that's why at the end of the day, dude, we have—we've got to get away from putting our hope in that thing because it is hopeless. (laughs) 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 It is hopeless, dude. It is hopeless, man. We've just got to—we've got to stand on the steady and sure and never-wavering rock of Jesus, man.
1: That's so good. Yeah, Jesus can give us so much more than our vote can, than our presidents can, than our— Parties can, and I think that that's just refreshing to think about in here. While these topics and stuff about politics are so complicated yeah. and hard to kind of navigate, especially yeah. with everything that's happening in the world right yeah. now, I can trust that Jesus is going to be the firm foundation, like He said. He's
0: oh, be. dude, that is man, that is such a good word, and that's one of those spaces where when I read like slave narratives. And I read about what 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 enslaved Christians had to do. They had no say so in the political process. Mm. They had no say so in uh, in the makeup of their reality. And yet, still, dude, you read these narratives and you and you you read these songs that were written mm. called Negro spirituals, dude, where it's like. Dude, you couldn't meet people that were more in love with Jesus, that felt more confident in what their destiny was going to be, more confident in who they were as people, dude. Like, they were rooted in something much more real and much more powerful than the the lashes they were going to get the next morning. And I think we can learn a lot Mm -hmm. from from that reality, from the black church, of just like, dude, at the end of the day— we we have to we have to engage where we can and use the political systems that are around us to serve good purposes but man if, if we find that as our as our saviors dude, when we find ourselves on the on the margins like those enslaved christians did what are we going to do
1: yeah what are mm-hmm. we going
0: to do when the day comes where we don't have a say so in the political system yeah. we don't wow. have a say so in the ways in which our reality is being made up someone else is doing that for us yeah. are we going to sing songs of joy are we going to find ourselves fully committed to the ways of Jesus? or Are we going to be scrambling yep. and itching for power at every which way
2: because it's what? being because it's lost? And that's now. what's crazy because that's that's most Christians in the world right now anyway. Oh, dude. most Christians in the world right now don't have this. Don't yeah. have what we have. Come most on. of them are like, I would love to have Come on. that prerogative. So most, shout out to the persecuted church. We love there's, you. There's there's more Christians who are in that situation than 100%, or in our situation. A hundred percent, bro. A hundred percent. So again, it's just good to have that that perspective. A hundred percent, bro. A hundred percent, man. That's us go. I love it.
1: Man, Dre. Yes, sir. My man. Hey, bro, I just want to say thank you for coming on with us. Oh, yeah, man. And- Thanks for
0: having me in the green room.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And man, if you're listening to this, I really hope that you're encouraged to talk about these things with your friends, even if they disagree with you. Continue to have the conversations, continue to pray uh, for the people God puts in the presidency. Remember that while your vote matters, you and your friends can make a huge difference through serving the marginalized in your city. If you're in Austin, head to austinstone.org slash for the city to get connected with local mission opportunities right in our backyard. For further reading, we recommend the book Compassion and Conviction by the AND Campaign. We hope to see you next time. Thank you for being our guest in the green room. Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations, then share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.